It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The first thing I want to say is I I want to say our hearts of this community go out to the victims of this horrific incident. We know of uh, 10 fatalities uh, at the scene, including one of our Boulder PD officers by the name of Eric Talley, who's been on the Boulder Police Department since 2010. He's served in numerous roles supporting the Boulder Police Department and the community of Boulder. And I have to tell you, the heroic action of this officer when he responded to this scene. At 14.30 hours, the Boulder Police Department began receiving phone calls of shots fired in the area and a phone call about a possible person with a patrol rifle. Officer Talley responded to the scene, was the first on the scene, and he was fatally shot. I also want to commend the heroic actions of the officers responding not only from Boulder PD, but from across the county and other parts of this region. Police officers' actions fell nothing short of being heroic. I also want to thank the men and women who responded, including state, local, and federal authorities. Obviously, this is a very complex investigation that will take no less than five days to complete. And again, my heart goes out to the victims of this incident. And I'm grateful for the police officers that responded. And I am so sorry about the loss of Officer Talley. And again, we will be here working night and day we have one suspect in custody. I want to reassure the community that they are safe and that we will try to do our best over the next few hours to identify the victims. And we'll be working with the coroner's office to do that as promptly as possible because I know there are people out there waiting for an answer and I am very sympathetic to that. And we will work around the clock to get this accomplished. That was Boulder Police Chief Maris Harold. You can hear the emotion in her voice, and that's why she's the one I wanted you to hear. Uh, obviously, Chief Harold was pretty overwhelmed by the death of all the people, but not the least of which was Eric Talley, the policeman she mentions. She was asked later in that press conference, uh, you know, if she could say more about him, and she said, yes, it's very personal to me. He was just in my office two weeks ago. I was giving a commendation medal of some sort. I believe, to his son. And uh, she said that uh, Eric had been uh, teaching CPR 
he'd been doing this community course on CPR, and he taught his own children, all seven of them, uh, to administer CPR. And one of his sons, as I understand this, one of his sons had actually saved one of the younger children who had swallowed a quarter uh, by using the techniques that he had taught. And so they were uh, they were commemorating, celebrating, whatever you do, in a case like that, in her in her office just two weeks ago. And people were talking uh, so highly of this police officer, Eric Talley, who was 51. He had left a career in, uh, uh, you know, uh, computers and was making six figures. But something happened. One of his fu- uh, friends was killed in a drunk driving accident, and that impacted him so much that he decided he wanted to go in law enforcement. So here he is. He's got seven kids, uh, and he's putting his life on the line, and he certainly did put his life on the line in that grocery store. The other thing that is not getting much press on him is I saw um, a tribute from his father uh, saying, uh, among the besides the fact that he was such a wonderful dad, that he was also that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just uh, wanted you to know that in case you didn't hear it from other sources, maybe you will. Uh, but I wanted you to hear it, and I think it's ironic then that he was shot by Ahmed Alisa, a Muslim from Syria, raised in the United States, but um, very much part of his own Muslim faith. And I want to, we're reading more about him. Let's see. He was known to the FBI and had ranted about Islamophobes hacking his phone. And then, of course, he killed 10 at that Boulder grocery store. You know, here's the thing. As we watch this thing unfold, I watched it yesterday, in fact, the day before, and I was going to say something about this, but I didn't. We haven't had these mass shootings like this from um, Islamists in a long time. Did you notice that? You know, for whatever reason, uh, during the time when uh, Donald Trump was president, there weren't, the Muslim community was quiet. There weren't these beheadings of Americans or shootings or killings. Um, And so when this happened, and I was looking at the pictures and watching the press conference, there were lots of things that jumped out at me. First of all, uh, the whole parade of uh, law enforcement officials and the, the obligatory you know, thanking each other, and I thank them, and they thank me, and I thank them, and these are fine guys, and we're and we're going to be stronger for this, and on and on and on. This is what they do. It's like a ritual. It's like it's become so artificial. And one of the reasons I chose to pay play the chief of um, police clip for you is because she there was nothing artificial about her. And the thing that you noticed in the press conference is that it was very thin on facts. Anytime they ask about the shooter, uh, they didn't. They couldn't say. And they did. You know, we saw in all the pictures that they had a man stripped down in his underwear who was injured, and several police were surrounding him and walking him out of the grocery store. We saw that, but still, they could not say who it was. Uh, they would not say if he said anything when he was arrested, anything when he was in custody. Uh, they would say nothing about him. Answer absolutely zero questions, which to me was a red flag. Because if the person had been, oh, let's say, um, part of the Tea Party, uh, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, uh, you know, a Christian, I'm not sure, you know, a a white uh, male who uh, was a Donald Trump supporter, we would have known immediately. But we didn't know anything. We knew nothing. Nothing. And so, of course, uh, when I saw the pictures, I just put two and two, two together, and I said, this has all the earmarks of what police were doing uh, when we were having all of these uh, murders of Americans uh, by our American-born people by Islamic um, uh, immigrants, 
who were, uh, you know, dedicated to Islam and dedicated to jihad. Uh, this is the same thing they've done every time. They hide the identity they want. They wouldn't even announce his identity in the press conference, even though they knew who it was. It was Ahmad Alisa. And so from other sources, of course, I found that out, and now it's being reported. Uh, but this is what we know about him. He's Syrian-born. He killed two people in the parking lot before entering the store where he killed another eight people. Uh, on Facebook posts in the last 18 months, he complained he didn't have a girlfriend and that he hated Trump. His brother told the Daily Beast that his brother... Now, here's the other mark. This is what they always say. The family members always say why he was uh, mentally ill. He was bullied. Uh, he was uh, socially isolated. He was this. He was that. So, interestingly enough, the brother says he was mentally ill, and he's been bullied in school, and it's his shooting, whatever it was, it wasn't politically motivated. He's just been bullied in school, and he's mentally ill. Now, his victims ranged in age from 20 to 65. Of course, he killed the, the policeman, Eric Itali, but he also killed uh, uh, shoppers, people who were there to get their COVID-19 vaccine. And, of course, it is the second mass shooting in this uh, this past seven days, uh, the other one being in Atlanta. I didn't talk much about that when it happened because there was other news. Uh, but uh, uh, when that story came out, of course, they said— <laughs> The whole the whole story there, according to the media, was that this uh, white American, whatever his background, uh, hated Asians, and it was uh, he was killing Asians because there were it was women in massage parlors uh, that he had visited, but they weren't all Asian. That has to be said, uh, and he said by his own out of his own mouth that he was uh, in tremendous angst because of his own um, sexual addiction, and he was acting out on his sexual addiction not because. The women were Asian, and then I found it really interesting because I saw um, another article just a few days later. This was from, well, I'm not. it doesn't matter where it was from because the story was told by everyone. There was a criminal uh, in the subway uh, who attacked uh, an Asian man, an older Asian man, and um, when he attacked him, he yelled, according to the story, he yelled, you blank, blank Asian. You blank, blank, the worst kind of blank, blank you can think of, that's what he said. You blank, blank Asian, and then killed him, or attacked him. I don't think he's dead, on the subway. And I thought to myself, they showed a picture of the guy who looks like he's from the hood. I'm thinking, you know, call me crazy, but I don't recall people in the hood saying Asian. I think they have another name for Asian people. I don't think they say, you mm, Asian that just seems really odd to me. Now, I don't have anything, any facts to prove that, but I, I watch these things and I see the signs and I just, this whole business of being, there being a rage against Asian people because of Donald Trump talking about China bringing in the virus. That's the whole link here. It's, um, it's just, you can't trust anything. You can hardly trust anything. So Amon Elisa, according to the press, why we have no idea what the, um, uh, we have no idea what the motive was, even though he ranted about Islamophobes uh, and also some of his other students. He ranted on his Facebook page about President Trump, about his Islamic faith. And uh, one of the kids that he was in school with said uh, he was kind of scary to be around his senior year during the wrestle-offs to see who makes varsity. He actually lost his match and quit the team and yelled out in the wrestling room that he was going to kill everybody. So um, 
Hernandez, who was another fellow wrestler, said he would talk about being a Muslim. And now if anybody tried anything, he would file a hate crime and say they were making it up. All right, so but, but, but the police, they don't know his motive. They would not say what he said when he went into custody. They did say, finally, that he asked for his mother. That's what they want you to know. Ahmad Elisa, the 21-year-old, this young, innocent guy who was mentally ill and bullied, uh, asked for his mother when he was arrested. Nothing about all these other things. I'm reading this from the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail, you know, say what you will, uh, they really do report good news. I get a lot of stuff from them that I can't get from anyone else. So that's what we know about him. Uh, so uh, the bottom line is, interestingly enough, a uh, a Muslim um, jihadist kills a Christian policeman. I don't know who the other people were and what, you know, I just think that's ironic. The, the policeman's trying to save people and, and uh, Ahmad is killing people. I remember hearing, uh, you know, the saying of the Muslim Brotherhood was, we love death more than they love life. Yeah, so I remember that, and I think, yeah, well, okay, so it's reminding me of all these things that we did go through before, and looks like we may be going through again. And, of course, the rush then was to, obviously, the the conclusion we are to draw is that we are to uh, do away with our guns. Joe Biden weighed in, uh, Juliet uh, Kam, I don't think I have the time to play this, but they're talking about the increased gun violence, and duh, that just means we have to outlaw guns, we have to take away these weapons so that these people who have no motive other than they're just bullied or, you know, there's nothing about the people. The people are not bad. The guns are bad. Uh, while they're letting in, the border is open. It's open for business and criminals and gangs and cartels and people from third world countries, pe- not third world countries, but people from on our terrorist watch list are coming across the border to do, well, I'm sure they're here to help, right? Help is on the way uh, from the open border in the South. And we are to disarm ourselves. All those ranchers down on the border that have no protections whatsoever and hundreds of people are passing through their property and uh, doing all kinds of threatening their families. Uh, they, they should do away with their guns, right? We shouldn't have guns. Those of you and us, uh, all of us that live in our homes and we know that the invasion is coming. They're, they're saying there's about a million that are expected this year. They're not all criminals. No, but some of them are. Uh, and so also then you couple with that the uh, Biden administration's move to release criminals from jails. Uh, and we have Houston. Uh, we have a problem. And the solution uh, from the left and from the Biden administration is to know you've got to ban guns. We've got to ban the people's guns. That's the reason. And that's the way we can get rid of these mass shootings. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Christians, they're suffering big time in Africa, and they need our help. Hi, this is Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten in jail not for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many have come to Christ in recent months. But extremists here, they have assaulted him, his family, and many in his church. But you know what? They're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. They're praying for Bibles to open and read every day, in order to be able to endure and persevere as new followers of Christ. Hey, give thanks if your pastor hasn't been beaten in jail, but please don't turn a deaf ear to these pleas for Bibles. Instead, help support the church in Africa by sending a Bible to these waiting Christians at only $5 a Bible or $100 sins 20. Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or visit sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org, and God bless you for caring. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Dennis Alvord, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Economic Development. His office promotes innovation and competitiveness, preparing American regions for growth and success. 2 Corinthians 9.6 reminds us of the importance of economic investment. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Dennis Alvord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. Phil Vischer is the creator of VeggieTales. He's also one of those woke, never-Trump Christians. The other day he was conducting an interview and he lashed out at conservative Christians said conservatives are psychologically less comfortable with uncertainty. He said, if you are a conservative, you like the comfort of certainty. That's a nice way of saying we're closed-minded. He went on to say that people who are politically liberal are more comfortable trying new things. And then Mr. Vischer made a very giant cultural leap. He compared conservative Christians to Cracker Barrel and liberals to Whole Foods, asking the question, which came first, the Cracker Barrel or the Christianity? You know, there really is nothing more repugnant than the intellectual snobbery of woke Christians. The idea that conservatives who eat at Cracker Barrel are closed-minded is about as offensive as store-bought chicken at a Wednesday night church supper. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I do think we need to rediscover in our K-12 system the founding of the country. What makes the country unique? Our Constitution, our founding fathers, some of the great figures throughout our history, whether it's a Lincoln or an MLK or a Reagan winning the Cold War. Uh, But when you do that, it's got to be true and solid and factual. And you can't let it become infected with left-wing ideology like critical race theory. Critical race theory is basically teaching people to hate our country, hate each other, it's divisive, and it's basically an identity politics version of Marxism. So I don't think it has any place in the classroom, certainly shouldn't be funded by tax dollars. So as we're doing this bold civics initiative, which is important, I think people like that, but I think a lot of people look at it and say, well, okay, they better be teaching the right stuff. So we're going to have a depoliticized curriculum. We're not going to let that stuff in there. And I think that that's going to serve students well in the state of Florida for years to come. I thought you could use some good news in there some. Uh, that's Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, isn't it refreshing uh, to hear someone leading? Like, we are. <laughs> that's one of the reasons that Donald Trump was so popular was because he provided leadership. 
He saw through things. He was able to see what the truth was, get to the bottom of it. And then he just spoke plainly. And that's what Ron DeSantis does. I guess the thing that occurs to me, for those of you that are Christians, we need to pray for him that uh, he can stay steady. I think he's getting a lot of attention. I think he's a great, uh, a very promising particular uh, potential candidate for president coming up. Uh, but it's so easy. It's so easy to become corrupted and to lose your bearing. I haven't seen any of that in him yet, but we need to pray that that doesn't happen to him because how we need people who are so committed to truth that they will not waver. There are so few of them. And so that's Ron DeSantis, and that's what's happening in Florida. They're not having any of that icky uh, critical race theory stuff taught to their kids. So um, a couple of follow-ups on stories I talked about yesterday. We, we spent quite a long time playing the interaction between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci, and I played a clip for you of Dr. Fauci claiming uh, on The Daily Show, you know, that scientific uh, journal that's on every... Uh, daily, uh, it, about uh, how he you could he was just willing to bet anything that if you had uh, gotten the uh, COVID virus that you would have an immunity, and then then of course the conversation fast forward a year plus uh, to the conversation in the Senate. Rand Paul took him on on that and said, um, "You sir are wearing two masks, and yet you've had the COVID vaccine, and you're telling people that have had COVID and recovered." and those that have had vaccines and recovered, that they must wear masks. That's just theater. And Fauci got, uh, you know, very upset and very indignant. And, and boy, Rand Paul really did put him in his place and just kept at it. You show me the studies. You show me the studies that show that if someone has had COVID or if they've had the vaccine, uh, that they uh, will get COVID in the future. There are no studies, sir. There are none. You are supposing. You are you are projecting your own thoughts. And th- this is just theater. Well, I found it interesting that a story just came out uh, right after that. Uh, this is dated, uh, see, yesterday. Here's the headline. Three fully vaccinated Hawaii residents test positive for COVID-19. And uh, then it goes that three Hawaii residents who were fully vaccinated against the Chinese Communist Party virus have tested positive for COVID-19. All three patients have received both doses of the Pfizer, BioNTech, or Moderna vaccines. They all experienced mild symptoms and did not appear appear to spread the disease to others. All right. I just found it ironic. It reminded me very much of, um, remember when President Trump was talking about hydroxychloroquine and its effectiveness? And he he was totally right about that completely right and accurate about that. And then suddenly, suddenly, the, uh, which journal was it? It was one of the medical journals that's highly respected, came out with a study uh, saying that hydroxychloroquine was dangerous and should not be used for people who had COVID. Uh, And then we found out, lo and behold, after that came out, and it was repeated, of course, echoed by all the other media outlets because it was such a reputable journal, a medical journal, that it was completely bogus completely false. It was a false report, a false study, and that hydroxychloroquine was, in fact, and now the CDC is actually admitting now, it is effective in treating people with COVID. Uh, So this reminded me of that. Like once there was this back and forth between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci on whether people who get the vaccine or people who have uh, gotten the COVID virus naturally uh, should, would be able to get it again. And, um, and so I just think this story, it's coming out of Hawaii. Hawaii always cooperates with the left. Remember a lot of those orders that stopped President Trump on his immigration orders came out of Hawaii? A Hawaii judge was always stopping him. Hawaii is on the left of the left. I just, um, I don't know. 
maybe it's true and maybe it isn't. I have heard that people who get the vaccine can have mild symptoms because I think, you know, the way vaccines have worked traditionally is that you are infected somewhat with the very thing you're trying to be uh, inoculated against. So it would make sense. And anyway, I just that's just an observation. All right, yesterday we talked a lot about this restaurant owner, Marlena Pavlos Hackney, played uh, her part of her interview with Tucker Carlson. I was so moved by that. She's from Poland. Uh, she was raised in communism. She came here and became a naturalized citizen. She has a pizza restaurant in uh, uh, near Grand Rapids. It's not Grand Rapids, but it's near Grand Rapids. And uh, they have, of course, try- she said they closed their restaurant for three months when COVID first hit because no one knew exactly what was happening. And then she reopened because she had to pay her employees and pay, uh, you know, support her family. And she was seeing that uh, the things that they were ordering people to do were not laws. They were just rules. And so she defied those rules and opened her restaurant, did not require social distancing and did not require masks. And so they shut her down and fined her, and she refused. Uh, she refused to stop, and she gave a very, a very moving plea uh, to the American people to fight, uh, because this is what communists do, and we cannot let them. We cannot let them control our lives. This is what they'll do. Uh, the next morning, after she was on with Tucker, she was arrested, and she's been in jail ever since. And so, uh, this is the uh, headline that I saw today. Well, uh, let me let me just before I tell you this. Um, I'm not sure the timeline here, but this story has come out in the last 24 hours. There were uh, state legislators in Michigan who went to uh, Marina's restaurant, and they did a press conference, Marlena, and I want you to hear what they had to say. Let's listen. This weighs heavy in my heart, because I asked this question. Why is there a resident of the state of Michigan currently in jail? And the justification for her being in jail she was operating her business. You have the cameras. You see clearly across the road. This business is not open. But yet, we have a resident of the state of Michigan serving time. Serving time without bail. All she wants is to breathe. She wants to support her family. She wants to support the families of the employees that work with her. That's all she wants. Every single person who came and ate at that restaurant, like me a couple weeks ago, they know the risks. They want to support this hardworking woman who is giving it all for her community, all for her family, all for the people that work in her restaurant and are supporting their families as well. Right now she's behind bars. Right now she can't get out. It's heartbreaking. Her family's heartbroken. The community is heartbroken. What did Marlena do? She operated a business. She tried to make a living for herself. We used to celebrate that in America. But now, they throw you in jail for that. At the same time, refusing to do an investigation on what we know to be one of the worst decisions ever made to put COVID patients in nursing homes. Even the state of New York has recognized that problem and they are doing an investigation. But here in Michigan, Radical liberal Dana Nessel refuses to look into nursing homes. She refuses to hold Governor Whitmer accountable for her decisions and instead is focused on putting an immigrant business owner in jail for just trying to make a living. Marlena did not violate a law that the legislature passed. Marlena violated an order issued by an unelected bureaucrat. 
No one should be able to go to jail because one unelected bureaucrat makes an order. All right, so that's at least three of the state reps from Michigan, and uh, it's Holland, Michigan, where she has her pizzeria, uh, Marlena Pablos Hackney. And so they're defending her, and there were people that came to support their defense of her. You know, when we talk about say something, do something, uh, these are the kinds of things. I mean, it. look, even if we don't, if we cannot turn back the tide, uh, we have to we have to fight, and that's what Marlena was saying. Don't give up. You have to fight because if you don't fight, then they take that as weakness, and it will get worse. And let me just say that Marlena, this headline I started to read, as uh, she is out, uh, she won her freedom. Well, she won her freedom, but here's how she won her freedom: she had to pay a fifteen thousand dollar fine and board up her restaurant. Okay, so she got out, but she had to pay fifteen thousand dollars. And she's being threatened. Now, if she, if she opens her restaurant again, she will be charged another $7,500 uh, and, and jailed again until she closes the restaurant. So um, it's, it's a fight. It's a fight for her, and she's shown such courage. And, you know, as I said before, courage breeds courage. And I think you may feel, um, well, it, what's the use? And sometimes we do feel that way. But I have to say... If you are at a crossroads and you have to choose whether to do nothing or to show courage, courage wins every time. It has to for the believer. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Courage is not an option. Courage is something that God requires of us. And again, I repeat what I said yesterday. In Revelations, it tells us that the people first on the list of those that will not be in heaven are the cowardly. God hates the cowardly. He has no patience for cowards. And so, uh, and reason the reason we are to have um, we are to have courage is because God is with us. Our God is with us. Our God is with us. And so, um, there's a GoFundMe page for Marlena, which I'm I'm happy to say it's a. You know, I actually don't. They don't have the name of the page, but it uh, they've raised almost. They have a three hundred thousand dollar goal. So if you want to help, uh, just look for her name. It's uh, Marlena Pavlos Hackney. Marlena Pavlos Hackney, if you'd like to help. Um, anyway, so we'll follow that story as best we can and give you the follow-up on what's happening there. Now, to, to make, just to give you an idea of why we need to fight now, there was an article. Um, this is not a done deal. It's being discussed, though. A former federal prosecutor is seeking a pledge from every business in America that the 2020 election was accurate. The final piece asks companies to not support, donate, or endorse politicians, political campaigns, or political action committees that promote false conspiracy theories surrounding the 2020 presidential election or otherwise acted in ways contrary to a representative democracy. That former federal prosecutor, Glenn Kirshner, has launched this campaign to force every business in America to take a pledge. That states in part that the 2020 presidential election was free and fair and proceeded ac- and produced accurate, reliable results. Any American business refusing to take this pledge, regardless of their own personal beliefs, will presumably be subjected to the cancel mob. All right, so I'm just telling you, this is in the works. This, they have all kinds of things in store for us. They have, they're way ahead of us, trust me. They've got it all figured out. And uh, if we're ever going to fight, it's going to have to be now. We do have the numbers now, and we have uh, the strength. We have the economic ability. They haven't destroyed us economically like they will. That's exactly what they're going to do, because when they 
can destroy us economically than they can control us. And that's why the middle class, again, is so dangerous. That's why businesses are so dangerous. That's why in the Chinese Revolution, they, uh, they targeted business. They made business people and businesses the enemy. Uh, and they closed them down. They took them over. That's what happens in communism. But certainly the Cultural Revolution in China is a great example of that. So that people, this regular people, turned against business owners. You know, did I? You remember me? Told I told you um, last week, I think, that of the people that were at the Capitol on January sixth, you know, they they've been telling the story as though it's all the you know it's all the Proud Boys and the uh, the Oath Keepers and uh, you know white nationalists and whoever else fill in the blank. But it turns out that the majority of the people there, a huge percentage, I, I wish I could remember the percentage, but the huge percentage of the people there were business owners. They were business owners. Uh, Understanding what's at stake, they understand probably more than most of us because a lot of people, you know, are on pensions. Uh, They're on government payrolls. Uh, Teachers are still being paid. You know, all the politicians are still being paid. You know, half of America is, you know, being funded by the government. And so their, their checks are coming. It's business people who have suffered financially, and they're the ones that understand and feel the hot breath of totalitarianism and have the muscle and the will uh, and the drive to fight. And that's what they did. So, by the way, I didn't tell you this is pretty dreadful. We'll have to do a, a better, a deeper dive on this on another day. But the, the DOJ and the FBI appear to be um, taking a, a really aggressive posture against their political opposition. Uh, you know, with that domestic extremist narr- narrative, they have announced now that they're going to, um, they're thinking about charging the people that were there on January 6th with sedition. Now, sedition is a very serious charge. Uh, It's uh, effectively accusing them of attempting to overthrow the U.S. government, and the penalty is up to 20 years of imprisonment. I'm just sickened by this. I'm, I'm sickened and I'm angry. I'm very angry. There's a lawmaker who is proposing that the benefits from veterans who were there on January 6th be stripped from them. That's going to be coming up in Congress. And uh, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, is preparing to monitor travel of Americans that they define as domestic extremists. This is our future if we don't fight. Just giving you a touch, a feel, an insight into what's coming if we don't stand up and fight now. That goes for churches and all the draconian rules. That goes for businesses. That goes for us in our private life. Uh, Whatever it means to you in your life, it's time to stand. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Each one of us is a leader of a small cell group. Focal Point with Brian Fisher. We have people with whom we communicate that do listen to us. We have an opportunity to keep them informed and to keep them mobilized, to keep them motivated so everybody stays engaged in the fight for the soul of our country. Focal Point, the home of muscular Christianity. Weekday afternoons at 1 Central on American Family Radio. Thank you guys for all you do to keep us informed. I'm using it to also inform my friends. It thrills us to hear how God is using American Family Radio. And we just appreciate everything you do. Would you take a minute to call our listener line to share your story? Help us celebrate how American Family Radio is impacting lives. Phone 877-876-8893. That's 877-876-8893. 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The Arkansas legislature has passed, and its governor signed into law, a measure that bans abortion except to save the life of a pregnant woman and a physician-determined medical emergency. The value of a person's life isn't determined by the circumstances in which they were conceived, so there are no other exceptions in the law. It's expressly stated in its legislative findings that intentional elimination of infant life is a crime against humanity. This is the first law to explicitly do so, and it will challenge the horrendous 1973 Roe versus Wade decision and its progeny. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. The city of Evanston, Illinois, is going to start paying reparations to eligible black households in response to what it calls the lingering effects of slavery. Now, the Bible does teach that financial compensation for damages that one party has caused to another party is a matter of justice. But the Bible is also clear that we are never to punish children for the sins of their fathers. We hold people accountable for what they themselves have done, not for what their ancestors did a century and a half ago. To do that is fundamentally unjust. But that doesn't let us off the hook. The Bible says all of us, regardless of the color of our skin, owe an ongoing debt of love, not money, to our neighbors. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love one another. Now that's a debt we must pay down for the rest of our lives. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The latest mass murder in Boulder rebuts a number of the nostrums of the day rather than affirms them. First, the gunman appears to be a jihadist, not a white supremacist. While the shooter, Ahmed Alisa, had reportedly been identified by the FBI as a potential threat, sadly, he didn't fit the profile of the purported domestic terrorists and violent extremists with whom the Bureau is evidently preoccupied, namely Caucasian Trump supporters. If, as some insist, the shooting was racially motivated, it doesn't jive with the dominant narrative of the moment either. While likely simply a product of jihadism, if racism prompted the murder of 10 white victims, presumably it's been encouraged by incessant denunciations of whites and their so-called privilege. Equally counterfactual is the idea that disarming law-abiding citizens would prevent such criminal conduct. It won't, and we must not. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Here I am sitting there as a parent watching a perfectly healthy child be destroyed. And there's nothing I can do but sit on the sideline and according to Justice Bowden at the time, cheer it on. I can only affirm or get thrown in jail. For the past 11 months, Canadian father Robert Hoogland's now 15-year-old daughter has been receiving testosterone injections by court order. The process began in late February of last year when Justice Bowden of the British Columbia Supreme Court ruled that the then 14-year-old girl should be medically transitioned to a boy regardless of the wishes of either of her parents. While the girl's mother was willing to cooperate, her father was distraught. This will not change her DNA. She will not become a boy. 
It can lead to increased heart disease and, and, and other risks of that nature, different types of cancers. Because they're going to be stopping her puberty, her bone density will, will stop right where it is. And I kept saying, no, this is not going to happen. I'm not consenting. According to the courts, however, Rob's consent wasn't relevant. In fact, Justice Bowden went one step further, declaring that Rob and his wife had to affirm their daughter's new gender identity. Rob was told that if he tried to dissuade his daughter or refer to her as a girl, he would be considered guilty of family violence. The night of the ruling, Rob granted an interview to the Federalist, lamenting the state-sponsored transition of his mentally vulnerable daughter. He also pointed out that his daughter was biologically a girl and would simply have her health impaired by high-dosage testosterone. The interview infuriated the BC Supreme Court. A few weeks later, Justice Francesca Mazzari convicted Rob of family violence for using female pronouns. To make sure Rob didn't refer to his daughter as a girl again, Mazzari signed a protection order authorising the police to immediately arrest Rob without warrant if he was caught referring to his daughter as a girl or with female pronouns. Wow. You know, I can't think of anything that's tearing up families more publicly than these kinds of conflicts, and they're becoming more and more common. You know, when we talk about marriage and family, which we have for decades, about, you know, fam the family movement or focus on the family or whatever kind of thing we were trying to do, I don't think we ever envisioned uh, what kinds of rifts and tears and attacks would come against the natural family. Uh, AFA is dedicated to trying to do everything that we can to reestablish God's order in sexuality and families and thus restore, restore order in this world. And we are getting ready to uh, introduce our new fair marriage, family, and fairy <laughs> marriage Family Life Conference 2021. They call it, they're calling it MFL21, uh, and it's going to be taking place June 24th through the 26th in Tupelo at Hope Church. It also has, uh, not only is going to have uh, tons of wonderful speakers, but there will be a second track for uh, kids ages 4 through 17, because you know what? Your kids are being bombarded with this stuff, and as I've said before, pastors are not addressing this. They're either not equipped or they don't want to. So it's the youth apologetics track, so it's also for your kids, uh, and the theme is by design. And remember that we just uh, produced an, a movie called In His Image, which talks about God's design for sexuality for male and female and so um, we are trying to do what we can to sort things out here God's way. Uh, marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net is where you register. And my guest was very involved in this conference. He was very much front and center in our uh, video in his image is Dr. Michael Brown. Good morning, Michael. Hey, great to be with you, Sandy. It's nice to have you. Let me just tell people who you are in case they don't know. You were the founder and president of Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina. Uh, you also host a show that many people have heard, The Line of Fire. You also host an apologetics TV show called Answering Your Toughest Questions. Uh, and the thing that's kind of fun for me, Michael, today is just to remember that you became a believer in Jesus as a Jewish— well, you, you describe yourself as a 16-year-old heroin shooting LSD using Jewish rock drummer— uh, that's when you came to Christ in 1971. Were you considered? Did you consider yourself part of the Jesus movement? Well, I I didn't know that I was when I got saved because I just got saved in a little church in New York, and I didn't know it was part of something happening around America and around the world. But you better believe it. That was part of the Jesus movement, and that was when God reached down 
all around the world, hippies, radicals, rebels, these crazy young people, and brought us to himself. So it was a powerful move of the spirit. It was an answer to people really crying out in the 60s. It was a small remnant, but they were crying out, recognizing that in the midst of the counterculture revolution, that these young people were actually looking for something more. And God began to convict us of sin and saved us. And when I heard about the Jesus People Movement, I just thought it was some guys on the West Coast that weren't as sanctified as me because they didn't cut their long hair and you know all of that. Then I found out, no, this is this is something God's doing around the world. So uh, yeah, I, I I got saved as part of that, 1971. Yeah, let me just say, out of the Jesus movement came the Vineyard movement. Uh, came Steve. Um, I started to say Steve Green, Keith Green, Keith Green, and all his incredible music that he contributed and numbers of artists. Is there any other great? From your perspective, Michael, any other uh, really significant ministry or outreach or touch from the Jesus movement that we can see now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, the Calvary Chapel movement with Chuck Smith, they came out of that. Really, the Vineyard movement then came out of out of the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, and that continues to be, to be large. Uh, most of the people that I work with in Jewish ministry around the world all got saved within a window of a few years in the Jesus People movement. Not only so, but I, I was in Mexico some years ago, in Juarez, Mexico, speaking at a church of about 8,000 for their annual missions conference. And we're sitting around these tables and all these missionaries that were working in Mexico and Latin America were all comparing notes. They were uh, all the Americans. And they said, you know, every one of us got saved in the Jesus People Movement. So <laughs> a lot came out of that. Even some conservative evangelical leaders uh, people who've, who've been standing for morality and family got saved during that same time. So it, it's, it's not as, as measurable in terms of just specific ministries. But when you start to dig deep, I've even traveled overseas and found leaders of major ministries, and they had radical conversion experiences right within a period of a few years. Yeah. Oh, there's a, you know, my son is uh, in uh, St. Andrew, Scotland, and attends in his, uh, one of the featured speakers at his vineyard church. Uh, so there's a vineyard in St. In, uh, St. Andrew, Scotland, so you're right. Wow. Uh, that has reached all over the world. Uh, and, and I know we need to get to marriage and family, but one last thing. Michael, one of the reasons this has been on my heart, that's my era too, and I have just wondered if God would bring revival among Antifa, among Black Lives Matter, among the, uh, the, the LGBTQ whatever a movement, if God would come down and just uh, touch hearts of people so profoundly that would have this same kind of effect. Have, has that occurred to you also? I, I burn with that day and night, Sandy. I cannot believe you're, you're bringing that up. I, I, I fell asleep last night basically on my knees praying for, for a fresh move of God. And, and here's why it's so important that you're raising this. The church as a whole in the 60s, early 70s, basically slept its way through two revolutions. The counterculture revolution, so many Christians thought, we're out of here. Remember how Lindsay's late great planet Earth? It was written yes, during that time. and yep. The prophecies were lining up. This is the end times. We're all out of here. And then God started saving so many of us. And most of the churches weren't ready to incorporate us and properly disciple. And it's because the church didn't really see what was happening the search, what people were looking for. They just saw the rebellion. They, yes. they saw the sex, drugs, rock and roll. They saw the craziness. And they didn't see that behind that was a deep search. So what is it? The social justice warriors, the BLM, the Antifa people, the, the different movements 
uh, young people that that are that are so so vociferous in their views and wanting to see equality. Okay, so much of it is misguided, so much of it is destructive, but behind it there is a cry. I mean, they're looking for a Marxist type of utopia. They're thinking that somehow they can force these things and bring them together, and they're using all these fleshly means. Uh, even with the LGBT movement, uh, there there is a cry. There's a looking for more. And I discovered some years ago, Sandy, uh, when I had a vision, of, I just saw the outpouring of the spirit. I mean, in, in my mind's eye, in, in the gay and lesbian transgender community and radical salvations and conversions just as happened in, in the hippie movement where I was saved. I, I, I saw this coming in, in my mind's eye. I began to talk to other leaders that had been praying and fasting, and they said, Mike, we've seen this coming for years. We believe this is going to happen. And in the midst of some of the, the race riots and protests last year, and then some of the upheaval in different cities, there were colleagues of mine that were actually out on the streets preaching, and they were telling me, Mike, we're seeing a moving of the Spirit. We've set up baptismal tanks on the streets, and we're baptizing people. So I believe Right now, with COVID, with so much shaking in America, with the shaking of the elections, with so much uncertainty, if we were really pressing to God, yes, politics and all that matters. We we don't we don't uh, get uninvolved, but if we'll put first, earnestly seeking God for revival, repenting of our sins, giving ourselves a fresh to outreach, I believe we can see a massive spiritual awakening in our day that will shake America. Oh, I, t I totally agree with you, Michael. God's been laying the same thing on my heart. And when people get so down, am I, am I get, when I get down, I, I, continue, I know that we're going to experience God's Holy Spirit in ways we've never, ever experienced it. We are getting—I'm not saying we're going to save the country. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we're going to see more of God, and we won't want to go back. Uh, so anyway, you and I could talk and talk about this, but— Let's talk about this conference. What is your role in the Marriage uh, and Family Life Conference by design that's coming up June 24th through the 26th? Uh, yeah, I am going to be one of the speakers there, and I'm going to be pouring out about the, the cultural issues that we're in and what God's Word has to say. And the moment I received the invitation, I didn't even pray about it. I said, I'm in. This is something <laughs> I want to be part of. I, I know what AFA is capable of putting together. It was my privilege to be part of the In His Image to host that documentary for uh, American Family Studios. And I know some of the people involved, some of the speakers. So I'm going to be one of the speakers, one of the, the keynote speakers and, and teaching there. And we, we just we want to pour ourselves into the body to equip, to give better understanding of what's coming. Because look, AFA other family organizations, myself, we've been warning for years and years and years about what's coming. We're grieved over it, but we're not surprised because we saw this coming. We saw those who came out of the closet wanting to put, wanting put us in the closet. We saw when marriage is redefined that everything else shakes. We saw that just the attack on marriage and family is Satan's way to destroy. So we want to equip we want to give people biblical foundations, apologetics foundations, build them up in faith so that they can be part of the solution and that their families, their kids can be whole and strong. Yes, and, and it's, it's a void that's not being filled. I just, Michael, I just grieve, and I talk about this, they probably get tired of hearing me, that pastors must equip themselves. They have to preach and talk and teach their people about the things that their people are encountering. They have ignored it and acted like it wasn't there. 
And the families are being ripped apart, just like that young Canadian dad that we just featured at the top of this uh, segment. These are the real issues that our children and their parents are facing. And so they have to be addressed uh, because families are being torn apart. And again, our uh, conference is June 24th to the 26th. It's in Tupelo. Uh, and there will be a, a youth apologetics track for children 4 through 17. Uh, so you can come and bring your children, and they can be instructed in a different way. It's called By Design. You can register at marriagefamilylife.net. That's marriagefamilylife.net. By the way, there's an early bird discount, and it ends on April the 1st. Michael, who else is coming that you could come in for just— I know, it's hard. You can't name everyone. Oh, um, you know, I I don't have the list of, of speakers in front of you that's going to be there, but they're they're key folks that that your listeners here on radio uh, from AFA that are going to be participating in this, and it's it's going to be it's it's multi ethnic. There's there's all the diversity you need so that you can come and say, all right, you understand my family, you understand what's happening in our world, and, and look, I was talking to a pastor friend, mega church pastor in one city. Oh, this is probably five, seven years ago, maybe longer. And he said to me, I meet with all the megachurch pastors in my city, and there are quite a few. He said, I am the only one that will even say a word about the subject of homosexuality. He said, I'm not talking about activism. I'm talking about people struggling in the church and family members having issues. He said, for others, it's too hot. And, I'm, and, and we're thinking the same thing. What about the kids? Yes, what about exactly. the families? Exactly. What about the grandfather that says, yeah. what do I tell my four-year-old, who, yeah. a boy who now thinks he's a girl? Well, parents don't know what to do. What are we supposed to do? How yeah. do we handle this? I met my- that, Pat, uh, that that father in Canada when I was speaking there about a year ago. Oh, Heard Michael, his situation. We're out know of time. what the, the schools are indoctrinating the kids. We must we, equip. And we must equip. Where- Michael Brown from the Line of Fire, and you can hear him on AFR Talk. And Michael, we have to talk and we can have more time together. Thank you, and God bless your ministry. And uh, go to uh, marriagefamilylife.net. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.